This podcast is produced by Unedited. We don't want to be here in 10 years, but mm. if, if you know, you, you can look in history and it's likely that we will be. And that's what's, that's what's really tough. Hello and welcome to episode 162 of In The Moment with me, Alex Manzi. This is a podcast designed to help you find more clarity in your thinking, stillness in your mind, and ultimately experience a greater sense of happiness in your life. And having been through my own battles with depression and anxiety, I decided to create a platform to challenge the way you think and to invite you to live in the moment. On this week's episode, I am joined by Alex Reeds and Ryan Nile, who are two incredible content creators. Alex is the host of Time to Talk with Alex Reeds, and Ryan hosts the Ryan Nile Show podcast and Instagram Lives. And I got together with the boys for an important conversation and discussion about race and the experience of growing up as a black man in London. And I hope that this conversation can really provide some inspiration to you to start making the change that we want to see. Because emotionally right now, there's a lot going on in the world and we're really living in unprecedented times. But through all of this, we need to start seeing action and start to create the change. And a part of that comes from being in a position of educating ourselves and looking to understand. And that is what I hope the purpose of this conversation will be for you. So during this conversation, we spoke about how having tough conversations are a good thing, the multi-layers of racism, the impact of small actions, and how we can start creating change. So the aim of this podcast is to inspire so if you like what you hear in this episode, then be sure to share it with a friend and spread the love. But right now, let's jump straight in and hear this conversation with Alex and Ryan. Boys, how you doing? Doing good, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Reece? As good as can be. As good as can be. Yeah, right. that's, that's so, probably a more accurate description. Yeah, so let, <laughs> let's, let's start, I think, with a mental and emotional health check. Mm. Are you boys doing those areas? Exhausted, man. Um... um Oh, go on. Should I go first or you go first, Reed? As you can see, I'm burning sage. Literally burning Excuse sage. Me. Okay, go on, Ryan. Yeah, um, as of right now, this second, um, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I'm feeling energetic. Um, like I am more in my normal state of being than, than I have been in the last 10 days or so. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in that respect, I'm feeling good. But the lagging feeling from just like the last... Um, week or so it's been it's been very difficult man um and it's been hard to 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 focus on any one particular thing it's been hard to 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 kind of get to the state that i'm in right now where i feel more like an individual um and it's just hard being part of this global conversation Mm. and 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 by default of who i am and my heritage and what I look like it's almost like being cast in like one of the starring roles in that Mm. and you just don't have an option not to engage with it from every single angle like there's just no escape so um mentally uh I'd say exhausted but also um armored I don't know if that's the right word but I feel like I built up a resilience from from this week um like been kind of hit sideways and then had to find some sort of balance um so that's where i am um mentally emotionally (laughs) all over the place um all over the place uh it's it's really tough because at any moment um as we've seen over the last 10 days since um you know george floyd's murder um uh it's so there's so much triggering traumatic uh, images and stories and accounts and um, words and 
tweets and everything it's just like exposed wounds everywhere and mm. all of this as well in in a time where we're in a global pandemic um on top of it it just adds like fuel to the fire and um it's a lot it's a lot that's 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 what that's what i'd say how about you roots um so this week has been um a really tough one um uh, started off pretty intense on my part basically just because i was kind of struggling with um, a lot of the content i was seeing online mm. um and i was just struggling with my own content um i didn't it was at a point where i was just like you know what i just don't even feel like there's any point continuing uh felt a bit hopeless <clears throat> didn't stay there for long it was pretty much a 12-hour thing that i just kind of slept off but um yeah, man, it's been a very weird and strange kind of time, right? Um, the, the pandemic, then, like, mired by this whole global outrage that is happening right now. You say global, so Western outrage that's happening right now. And, um, yeah, I just feel, I just feel really displaced. Well, then, mm. if I'm going to be honest, I feel displaced. I feel like, I feel calm, but I feel really like just kind of on a very weird plane um, mm. in between everything. Mm. Um, in between the world and me, everything is just a bit like, um, kind of mired by the fact that I'm not protesting in the street or going out to the protests because there is a pandemic and I'm a bit more, and I'm, very conflicted with the idea of a large yeah. percentage of black people going into the protest when they should where they, where they should be going versus the pandemic actually telling you that black people are uh, more prone to catching the disease and dying um so i'm a bit like and my mom's immunocompromised too so it's a bit like i just don't really want to have to um do that it would be kind of irresponsible on my part but I, what I have been proud about this week is just been seeing all the different funds and all the different things that mm -hmm. have been kind of, that have been happening. Um, Definitely. They've been so informative, uh, inspirational. Um, it's insp it inspired me to put together a monthly reading list, it inspired me to um, kind of be a bit more active and engaged on my platform and actually mm. realise the kind of power that we have as this collective of three and others to share the things that we do and do the things that we create, you know, and um, even by like, you know, you've got Ryan, you're doing your evening lives and they're really entertaining. And Thank you've you, got, you know, Manzi, you're doing your meditations and kind of just giving people that space. It's just nice to see the kind of corner of the internet. I've kind of like, um, created for myself if it was full of too much info i think that i would have been over really overwhelmed this week but it's absolutely you know, i'm seeing loads of, i'm seeing all different perspectives mm. i'm seeing all of the, um you know i'm seeing people working with black lives matter i'm seeing people you know the law collective um a few of my friends are part of that they're setting up legal legal wow really and yeah so they're doing all that having loads of conversations around black writing it's just um it's a very inspirational time um, that's amazing man. it inspired me to restart my blog in the way that i wanted to start it 
so yeah, all good. Like, again, like this is not new for a lot mm. of black people. This is not a, oh my God, what is, this is happening. It's a, it's happening again. What are we going to do? I don't want to be here in the next 10 years um, saying the exact same thing. Yeah. Oh, when it's been in 2020, this was, I don't want to have to say that again, mm-hmm. to be honest, because we can say it. 2010, 11, it was the London riots. After that, it was Trayvon Martin, Ivette Garner, Sandra Bland, Sheku Bayou, all these, all these guys. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's mad, like the amount of names mm. um, that, that can be ruled off both in America and, um, and the UK. And this uh, um, a consequence of, of uh, the, the times we live in, in terms of everything being filmed, everyone having camera phones, everyone being hyper-connected um, now. And I've, so, I've spoken about this on my show um, a lot. And uh, since, since the last... Um, you know, the last time we convened yeah. at the start of the lockdown, you know, we've all kind of changed <laughs> the way that we've um, been putting out our content, which is amazing. So like since then, I started a, a daily uh, live show. And um, on that, we engage in these current event topics. Um, sometimes it's entertaining. Sometimes it's um, engaging and emotional, um, educational, all of those things. It's powerful and, um, stuff. It's powerful yeah, stuff. It is. Thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. And um, out, out of that, um, you know, we've, I've heard so many different perspectives and um, there's a clip, just to your point, um, uh, Reeds, there was a clip that uh, we spoke about. Uh, there was a powerful exchange between a 45-year-old um, black man, a 31-year-old and a 16-year-old. And the 45-year-old was angry. He's like, I'm sick of this shit, man. Like, we've been, I've seen this happen. I've, I've done the protesting. We've done the peaceful shit. Like, now, now, that, now we need anarchy. And a 31-year-old was like, no, like we need a better way. Like I'm angry as well, um, but that that's not going to get us anywhere. And then mm. he's he's bringing the 16 year old into the conversation, and the 16 year old is like, he's saying to them, "Look, this is your future. You're going to be me in 10 years, but we don't want you to get to the what the 45 year old where he's, he's just had enough." Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it was such a powerful exchange, which happens in many uh, black households between males between like multi-generational males um uh, i mean just talking from my my own experience here but um and, I, and from what i've seen um and what just to, to go back to reed's point like we don't want to be here in 10 years but mm. if if you know you, you can look in history and it's likely that we will be um and that's what's that's what's really tough have you been alex Manzi? <laughs> um man uh similar really in terms of like like mental health pretty much like good i think there's been a lot of questioning on my own part in terms Mm. of like what can i do can i do more could i have done better all of these things should i speak up should i you know is it part is it is it is it my role to be part of that comment you know all those sorts of questions Mm. which kind of does exhaust you mentally yeah and then alongside that emotionally just feeling a lot very deeply because i've got a lot of connections with people with culture with music with work with peers with colleagues you know who who are part of the black community so seeing 
all of the emotion, all the the raw passion, the pain of all these posts, all these stories, all this unfolding mm. touches me, man. Like, to be honest, like it touches me because it's like, I, I start to feel that myself and it's, I want to, I want to take that on in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like I almost want to take that on to feel it, to understand it because I'm never going to fully understand it. So mm. yeah, man, it's really funny, but that, that reads, you mentioned like the meditations in the morning because I had someone message me a couple of days ago now saying, Oh, but like, are you all right? You seem really different this morning. And I was like, why? <laughs> like you just you just you were you were like more there was more space it was you were like it was like you were not really with the meditation and I was like well it's really funny because I actually felt like I was really with the meditation because for the previous eight nine days I hadn't really been with it because I was really struggling emotionally Mm -hmm. and it was funny because this person only joined the meditations like during that eight day period interesting when they noticed the difference it was also the day that I woke up, like you similarly said earlier, right? Like waking up last couple of days, feeling quite good. And this was on Friday. And then yesterday I woke up feeling really good, great moods, like great meditation, did some reading in the morning, like really like just feeling really good. Like not obviously like great, but like feeling Mm. kind of fresh in the morning, nothing heavy. In the context of the last like 10 days. Exactly. Exactly. And then I got a message from uh, my best friend, Joe, and he's like, you're around in 20 minutes to talk it's quite important to straight away i'm like fuck shit like what's happened like is it like mm. you know you know you're thinking about every possible scenario and he's phoned me up and we've had a, you know we've been friends for 17 years like best friends for pretty much all that time and we had our first conversation about race and he's he's black you know he's oh, african wow. family from nigeria we had our first conversation about race and how he's been feeling what he's been going through how he feels you know i've i've been part of that good and bad how he thinks you know certain experiences that we both shared when we were younger i probably didn't understand from his perspective and you know just like and it was really raw it was really emotional like there was there was tears both sides of the phone it was all from a kind of space of love and mm. it really it really moved me because if I just thought like, you know, like, wow, like, although I've been, you know, trying to understand and educate myself more, especially over the last kind of like week or so, it just made me think like, why has it taken us so long to have that conversation? Like, why has it taken until now? Maybe, you know, certain part of it is like, now is the right time for us to have it for many reasons that we're both a lot more mature. We're both a lot more understanding of life and everything. And it was just like, yeah man it, it rocked me again like massively emotionally yesterday like i was pretty much sitting on a emotional cliff yesterday like throughout the whole day like at any point i could have just teared up like it was mad but it was needed you know it felt it felt very much needed and you know i'm very thankful for joe for calling me out on stuff and you know likewise for me yeah. to actually have an opportunity to apologize for times where i probably even know and i felt that i didn't you know, show up enough for him mm-hmm. in times like this, you know? So yeah, like it's been, it's been up very up and down. <laughs> to say Absolutely, the least. man. Absolutely. Um, I, I, it's a really tough time. Um, but I, the, the, the good thing that is coming out of it is these awkward, painful exchanges that mm-hmm. 
um, people are having, I've had to have them too. Um, they've come to me and I've had to do mm. them outwardly as well. And um, it's a weird one because it's like these things, it's almost like there's a spotlight on this issue and almost like there's a, there's almost a bit of a, a slight pressure to, like if we don't talk about it now, um, it might not always be received in the same way because this is part of the global narrative right now, isn't it? And um, yeah, it's it's really good to to hear that you know you had that exchange with with your best friend, and that's your best friend. Exactly. Like it's this. So on the, on the show um, the last couple of days, I've been exploring the multi layers of what we call racism, and mm-hmm. it's there's so many layers there's you could put like 20,000 books and each layer is a page that's 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 how deep it goes um and uh I say that because he's your best he's your best friend and Mm. I know you both well um and I know that you know what when things are you know when the narrative isn't so much about race and things like that you know we we just connect as individuals of course because we we have similar morals similar um outlooks and things like that and your your best friend although um isn't from exactly the same background as you you'd appreciate his um all the things that makes him different but probably most because you connect as as human beings right and um what's amazing out of all of this is that the conversations that it sparked Mm. and um it's they've been difficult like I've, i've had to call out um uh some things even in myself that i didn't even realize on on the on the show like biases that come up within the 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 black community um Mm. and the caribbean community specifically um and and this happens everywhere but it's like oh wow i can't i can't be saying that this is the the, that the world needs to be doing the hard work and that the white community needs to be doing the hard work and engaging in these conversations and figuring out where um where those unconscious biases lie Mm. um and then i as as after I've said that, and then I've then engaged in, in conversation where those unbi- um, unconscious biases present themselves within mm-hmm. the Caribbean prison, and I'm like, I need to have a conversation about that. That's the hard work too. And um, yeah, it's um, ultimately it's good. It's 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 hard in the moment, like because you feel that you're going to be um, getting like a combative response from the person that you're you're either calling out or whatever. Um, you know, like we—I don't know if you've seen that clip of the the the, the white girl in America who confronts her parents, um, yeah. her her father. You see that one, reads? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, he's kind of backed into a corner with because she's educated and in, in, she's informed, and she's telling him that uh, you know, because he's he's saying, look, I work in I've worked in the ghetto, and there are some black people that that come out of that. Um, and become successful so don't tell me about nothing about oppression and all these kind of things and she's she's making the point that yeah they did that despite of the position that they've been put in and she kind of got him into a corner um intellectually to the point where he goes look they're just filthy animals (laughs) and she goes no that's not okay that's not okay how like how dare you you do that and what was amazing is that that's these are conversations that happen behind closed doors yeah and that is a, a little girl talking to her father. Well, it could be, well, I'm assuming he's a father. Did she say dad? I can't remember. <laughs> um, but that's her authority figure. That's someone that, that she presumably loves and, and 
those conversations are hard. Like we all know when we've heard like um, uh, an elder, uh, you know, someone from another generation say something we don't agree with. And mm -hmm. it's the easiest thing to do. And we've all, I've done it is to just laugh it off because you can't be bothered to have that conversation. It's like, oh, this is going to be a two hour debate. I'm going to be the party pooper. Um, the yeah. energy is going to change. And yeah, I just can't be bothered. Like just like, they don't understand. Just let them do what they're doing. Um, but the difference is now what's happening now is we're like, no, we're, we're going to, we're going to engage in these conversations mm -hmm. and everyone's going to hear and everyone's going to listen. Yeah. And I think, I think that's it, isn't it? It's like by, by skipping over those conversations, be it for me with like white friends, you know, with, with friends of color, whatever, it's like nothing's going to change if you just keep skipping past it. Like you have to face up to it. And, you know, I, I was having a conversation which partly sparked my post yesterday. That's what I was going to ask, actually. As well as my conversation with Joe yesterday. I was having a conversation with another one of my best friends who's, you know, middle class, white, from London, like me, you know, top of the hierarchy as society's set it up as, right? We couldn't, you couldn't get any further up if you tried, right? And we're having this conversation. And I was like, we have to admit, we have to really admit and acknowledge that we are racist. I was like, we, and there's no getting away from it. We are inherently racist because of the society we've been brought up in, because of the world that's ultimately benefited us, because of everything that we've experienced in our life, we are racist because we have not acknowledged that and acted upon that, knowing that we have that privilege. We've just accepted it and gone with it, mm. you know, because it benefits us. And we were having that conversation for like two hours and his girlfriend was there as well at one point and we were talking and we were, you know, she's, she's half Jewish. Me and him were both Italian descent. And, you know, our families have all struggled as well. Like my family coming to London probably came with two pennies to rub, rub together. And they were mm. probably treated as outcasts because they sounded different because they looked a bit different or whatever. But I was like, but fundamentally, no matter those struggles that our family have faced, that we have faced anything that any of us have gone through, None of that has been made harder because of the color of our skin, because of a simple feature of how we look. And that is yeah. not fair, you know, and that even comes down to things like healthcare, like how many people. So again, using another friend, like whose mum is in and out of hospital all the time. I was like, I pretty much can guarantee you that if she had an English white surname, her treatment and her case would probably be treated with a lot more respect than her having an African surname. Mm. And that's not fair. And it was, yeah, again, a very, you know, moving conversation to try and, you know, we were in agreement. Don't get me wrong. We weren't like, you know, I wasn't like having a go. We were in agreement, yeah. but there's still so much education on my part that I need to undertake education on my friend even though we were both you know very fortunate to grow up with a lot of black friends and you know through football and me through you know working at one extra I've worked alongside you know colleagues peers friends I've had so many people on the podcast you know it's I've been very fortunate to like I said have so many connections in in black communities and and similar with my friend you know it's him growing up so we 
probably a little bit more open-minded and, and empathetic to what needs to be done and what needs to be said and how. But I just feel like, you know, as, you know, middle-class white men, we, we need to do more. Mm. And that is a big part of what sparked my post on Saturday, yesterday. It's a very interesting post that you put when you put it up. Because I did read it and I, and I, and I respected it because um, a lot of the time... A lot of the time people don't want to understand that. I mm. think we I think we've been the one of the key elements of racism is that everybody's frightened of the word racist. Mm. And um because it because I think because it casts you in a space of hating black people or hating people of a different religion because, or yeah, it's because people don't understand it. Mm. And they don't understand it. Well, obviously obviously you know, everything from the from the bottom upwards um, has dictated how we see racism, and um, whether that be whether that be you know systematically or overtly or covertly, um, everything's been systematically shown to us through the media. We see racism as violent death mm. or an attack in the street mm-hmm. yeah. or, a, or an outward. Um, being an, or an outward kind of like expression of hatred, of anger, of aggression, mm. and um, I think and it's so funny now to see any dropping for mm. a lot of yeah. um, non-black people. Yeah, especially because and I'm I'm personally becoming a lot more specific when talking about it I, I was very much this person who because being West Indian the kind of the general idea of West Indian community is that especially in Jamaica the idea is out of many one people so therefore yeah. there are white Jamaicans there are black Jamaicans there are Asian Indian Jamaicans, Jamaicans and yeah. so on and across the across the whole the region there it's just mm-hmm. a mismatch a mismatch of different ethnicities um, and I think, and I was just like, this is just time for me to stop that because the kind of conversations I'm seeing around um, from the Asian community, from other minority ethnic communities in in contrast to the Black Lives Matter movement, to what's happening now, to the questions around race, I just feel that the alienation kind of creeped up and in the studies that I've been doing I've been looking a lot into loneliness and I've been looking a lot into what that means for different kind of people um you probably see from my, on my Instagram post about belonging and loneliness and trying to like figure that out mm-hmm. and black people in the black people especially in the UK are the, are the loneliest people black men are the loneliest people in the UK they are the unhappiest and that is kind of shown through uh, lot of different factors from education to work economics um relationship like all of this different stuff this so emotionally they are just the most unhappy people happy the unhappiest people um and not to say that black women are better mm-hmm. it's just because that well, obviously, as black men, they kind of suffer from the men the, the, the men side of it where they don't express themselves emotionally yeah right. so understanding that and then seeing 
a lot, everybody's starting to talk about this now. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, this is all great and all. And, you know, Piers Morgan's talking about, oh, yeah, everybody, like, I, I, I really understood, I understand it now, um, seeing what you're saying. And um, I'm seeing a lot of, like, influences and I'm seeing a lot of people talking about this and all over the news and all sorts. And it's just kind of frustrating because for the past 60 years, for the past 100 years, this has been talked about. Mm. This has been explained. And to be black in this country is to be gaslit all the time. Mm. It's to be mm-hmm. told, no, that is not the experience. No, that's not what you are doing. No, mm-hmm. that's not what is happening to you. No. I'm sorry, you've, no, I'm sorry you feel that no. way. Mm. And I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm not racist. I have enter black friend. Yeah. Enter Asian friend. Enter all of these things. And it's just... And it, it the re- and that's what I say the reason why it was tough for me this week is because a lot of this stuff began to relive itself. Um been looking a lot into psychology as well. I've been, I've been doing a lot of studying, been doing a lot into psychology as well. And um they, when it when a regressive memory comes up, the memory that you've put under like like you've tucked away into a cupboard somewhere under the mat that you kind of just suppressed, and then it just all comes back up to you and you're like wow and I sat down and I thought to myself the reason I am no longer working within journalism is because of the systematic racism Mm. within the industry that I was working in and Kehinde Andrews had a very interesting conversation with Russell Brand this week Um, he's done two episodes of him but one of the the first episodes that he did this week or last depending was about racism and the fox and the wolf and um, you say, you know, the wolf is the person, so if we're going to take the UK context, it's the, it's the black person going to um, West Ham matches for Millwall and they're being, they're being racist, um, mm. you know, throwing bananas at football players, um, mm. shouting in the street, being, you know, like attacked um, in the street, racial abuse, etc. overtly, I don't want a black guy in my house sort of thing. As over us, the wolf. That's them bearing their teeth and shouting. Then there's the other part of it, which is the fox, and the foxes are the ones that are that present as liberal, mm. the ones that um, smile in your face and present themselves as people who are there to support you. Um, like and that, that tends to come in the form of employers or people who are supposed or are in some kind degree of control over your product, over your finances, over something, um, you know, just not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Or unfortunately, um, you know, you, you, you're great at what you do, but we're going to go with somebody else this time. Mm. Or, you're bringing up so many memories for me right now. Yeah. And, when I sat down and thought about all of that, I've had to do a lot of processing over the past two to three years about these things anyway. But when I sat down and thought about that and I'm going through all of this stuff now, it is, it's sad. And it makes me completely, absolutely upset because mm. as soon as you walk into any sort of, any sort of profession, any sort of career, any sort of environment, you are automatically placed with a cap on your potential. Like me 
going into me going freelance for like from the beginning of 2019 was one of the most revolutionary acts that any person could have done because it's a risk that a black person would have to take in order for them to just go freelance and then oh, yeah. try to make it work because ultimately especially in the uk once they have one they feel like they have them all mm. and they won't look elsewhere they won't look elsewhere and um you know, especially when we start looking in, when I started looking into the wellness community and started looking into people who start speaking about the kind of things that I speak about, the kind of missions that mm. we have as a trio here and um, the kind of directions we have, it's clear that when it comes to particular things and particular conversations, particular places, like categorically, we're going to be placed differently. If you look a particular way, you're going to be accepted in a particular way. Mm. and um, you're not going to really get a look in to mm. it. I look at my following now over the past two weeks and it's gone up exponentially. And I'm like, I'm not posting any differently. I'm not doing any of these things. But all of a sudden, I'm, having a, I'm getting a lot more, that's how I say it, white, more white people consuming my content, being aware of the content that I'm putting out and whatnot. Yeah. When prior to that, it, was, it is a struggle still mm. kind of like maintaining the audience and bringing the audience but it's just um it's 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 been an, it's been an it's been a reminder of how insidious this stuff is and Completely, man. you know Completely. and it's like it's really challenging sometimes because it's like well you've got all of this you know, like you know to be black in here especially in the uk like you've got all of this potential you feel like you've got all of this stuff that you want to do but then you look around, you look around at say your white counterpart and then you think to yourself um, and you see where they're at and they were exactly the same credentials as you, mm. but they've, had, they've been managed to navigate in a way that you just can't. Mm. And, yeah, and, and we, that's we, not a self-limiting we belief. Like, we like to think it's a... Yeah, oh, that's not a self-limiting belief. No. That is just literally... It's a fact. Mm. That is literally a fact. That is literally like, because racism has depleted the confidence of so many black people in this country for generations. Like this is a generational thing. And for a lot of people, especially, um, I can speak specifically about the West Indian community, but the wider black community, um, a lot of the generations ahead of us weren't able to get, to get university education. They were simply just not told that universities were free when they were younger, that it was an option. They were, you know, the generation before that was reeling off the back of the war. <laughs> the generation before yeah. that was reeling off the back of slavery. Like, you know what I'm saying? And it's so close. Um, yeah. And what, what's like, like, because one of the things that really struck me, right, with my conversation with Joe, and probably, it probably was one of the things that hit the, the big nerve was when we were, to, I was, I was asking him how he, how he is, how he feels. And he's like, I'm just exhausted. He's like, and I, I, I can't be, I almost can't be bothered to deal with this. But he was like, yep. I don't have a choice. And I don't, I don't have that choice every day when I step out the house. Mm. I have to face up to this shit every day, every minute, every hour of my waking day when I'm outside the house. Mm. Every and day. It, every day. And I just thought, Fuck, like Manzi, I wrote this in my blog today. Um, I was 19 when the London riots 
happened. Mm. Um, and Mark Duggan's face was plastered all over the internet, the news, and the many the media manipulation of mm. his life was called to question. I was twenty. Yeah, the image that when he was image. holding his daughter's thing and it was cropped yeah. up. Yeah. Um, that um, I was 20 when Trayvon Martin was killed. Mm-hmm. I was scared to go outside. I had to go outside to get food and stuff. But if he could walk down the street and try yeah. and buy Skittles and, and literally go get Skittles, come home and not make it home. Mm. I've experienced racism in Spain, I've experienced racism in France, I've experienced racism oh, yeah. in Germany, I've experienced racism in Morocco, I've experienced racism across the world. I can't just up and go anywhere mm. because I'm scared of going places um, because you have to be ultra aware. And that's why it's exhausting it's because you are looking over your neck, over your shoulder, all the time you're wondering what people are thinking about you you're wondering if they're when they're looking at you and they're speaking to you in your face what are they actually thinking or what are they actually thinking that you do are they whether it be that oh i'm frightened of this person that i don't know or whether it's the brazen lack of boundaries that they can just walk in and ask you where are you where are you from it's exhausting Tyrant. It's exhausting, man. It is. Um, and, uh, you know, I started this conversation about kind of wanting to get back to like a, a semi sense of like individualism and, and normality. But the, the sad fact is that even in our normal, um, exactly. it's, a, it's a mirage. It's, it's you know, <clears throat> it's um, it's, this is the everyday thing. And um, it's the what they call microaggressions, which I don't even think is the correct term. But it's it's all these things that happen and it's the the thought process that we have to go through like what um reeds was saying like um you're always thinking like two three four steps ahead like okay how can this escalate if it does escalate how am i going to be perceived in this situation what do i say what are my rights blah 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 all of that and it just it's so exhausting and um you know yeah like you go through situations and those those permutations don't happen all the time but then you're in the next situation and there's more. And um, sometimes it just hits you out of nowhere as well. Like, for example, um, in my day job, I, um, I market and run um, business centers, like office, office space. Mm. In the one that I am based in, um, there's, a, there's, security, there's security doors before you go in. And there was a new client that um, hadn't seen me and had moved in or a new employee from another business or whatever. And... Um, he had used his fob and then I walked in um, behind and he stopped me at reception and he's like, um, who are you? I was like, uh, who are you? He goes, oh, I've just started here. Um, but you, you can't read, no one should really be walking in behind. I was like, um, I run this place <laughs> and it's fine. Don't worry. The, the, the center manager is also there. Um, it's cool. He's like, oh, 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 um, uh, you know, it was just, I've only just started here and like uh, my, my, my other building I used to work at, it was like strictly prohibited. I was like, don't worry about it. Like we've got it covered. It's cool. And he goes about his business, but then I've got to sit and unpack that for the mm. rest of my day, have another conversation with my colleague, a center manager, who's also, um, who's also black, a black um, lady. 
And then we then have to unpack all, more trauma about how many times these things happen mm. and how that wouldn't happen if it was another one of our colleagues. And this is just a constant thing. It's a constant thing and it's exhausting. And then, you know, this happens at a time where we're all exhausted through the pandemic, through being in lockdown, through not being to engage in any sorts of normality and then normality even. Um, and then it's like adding salt into a wound where even in lockdown, the worst can happen disproportionately mm. to, to black people. Systematically, the COVID law has given the police more powers to stop people that they think mm. have COVID. Mm. More black people are detained under the Mental Health Act 1983 under Section 126 because they are seem to be mentally unstable. Do you know what I'm saying? That is the that is what they tend to do. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? They will yeah. arrest you under one thing and then change the reason why they've arrested you yeah. to fit the act so that then you can be detained and held. More people are some... detained than that. I and mean, when you give the police and the people that are supposed to be protecting us more powers to do that. Mm. I, just, I just want it all to burn. Mm. It's crazy, man. It's crazy because you see some, I've been, I've, I've been on the, on the, on the end of this as well, but you see so much videos of um, even like within the last couple of weeks and like exactly what you're saying reads of um, the new powers to kind of uh, exercise those unconscious biases or even they might even be conscious, but um, you know, Oh, what are you doing there, mate? Uh, just come to see my friends. Um, yeah, but uh, you shouldn't really be out, um, even though the laws have changed around that, uh, mm. or the guidance has changed around that. Um, well, anyway, look, this is just about this, you know, with all the COVID, the, the COVID stuff, you, you shouldn't really be, you shouldn't really be here. And actually, I've got, I've got um, reason to believe that, uh, you know, you fit a description and uh, you could be, you could be transporting drugs within this vehicle. And this particular video that I saw was an off-duty ambulance driver. Mm. And he's filming it. So again, this is one thing. So as soon as you're engaging with police, you're like, oh shit, I need to film this. That's one mm. pressure. Secondly, you have to know exactly what to say. You have to be intellectual. You have to be kind, all yeah. of that. Um, and then beyond that, well, even when you're doing that, which he was, she started grips in, grips in his arm and stuff. And he's like, don't, don't grips my arm, blah, blah, blah. Then oh no, so you're 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 displaying aggressive mm, behavior. Yeah. Stop resisting. You're actually assaulting me though. It's mad. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like you can you can assault somebody, you can antagonize them, and then you wanna um criminalize them for being aggressive, which any human responding being... to what you're you're exactly. giving. Yeah. Which, yeah. And then we see other videos of overtly uh, aggressive behavior from a civilian towards uh, an authority. Mm. And you just don't see that consistency. Like you don't see that same behavior. And then it's just like, that becomes normal for us. That's just normal. And it's just like, that's what we've, that's what we navigate. Um, that's yeah. what we've been navigating. That's, that's what we've been um, born into. And mm. um, but that's what struck me about your post, just to bring it back as well to what, you, what we were um, talking about. Um, and I don't know if you want to, because obviously people listening um, won't have heard it. Um, but you posted the image says it's a privilege to edu educate yourself about racism instead of experiencing it. Mm. And um, this is exactly what we're talking about. And in your, I mean, I won't read it all out, but the, um, 
uh, the crux of it is I'm standing up and admitting as a white person that I am racist. And you list all the reasons as to why, and it unpacks that it's not necessarily what you, what, like what you was describing before, that it's not this, always this overtly idea of what racism is. Um, it's the structure and it's the privilege that people exactly. are born into, that they don't try to change the, the default, you know? Um, it's, even when you turn on the TV, like, um, and just look at what's, what's the default, yeah. <laughs> look at what the, what the default yeah. is and how normalized you know, go on go on finish what you're saying yeah a point to add to that. just how normalized that is to the point where that's normal um yeah. is is crazy considering we're in 2020 considering we know what the population of of earth comprises of and there's that's what makes the world beautiful because we've got so many cultures so many backgrounds so many yeah. um things and there are you know i mean you do you do see variants but mm. even like you still met um piers morgan earlier on in the week and uh, sorry earlier on um, in the conversation but earlier on in the week he and four other white male journalists were talking about oh yeah that, was, can, one, that was one conversation yeah yeah how can um you know there be we can be in this global pandemic um there's this global uh conversation around um, race and uh, there's Black Lives Matter protests that have been happening in America but the day it reaches our city, London the newspapers and the media run with a story of um, Madeleine McCann mm. and they said if that was a little black girl would it have got the coverage and they all said sadly no, no they can't imagine that and that's part of the problem and, they, and one of them even said this is part of the problem, we're having this conversation there's five white male journalists having yeah. this conversation. Um, we're part of the problem. But the, and, and while that's good to see, there needs to be work that we don't see. Like that, that then shouldn't happen again. Do you know what I mean? Like there needs to be so much stuff behind the scenes and change behind the scenes because there are a lot of anecdotal um, uh, virtual signaling uh, things happening at the moment. And, People are being, and what's amazing is that, <laughs> what's amazing is that even within this trauma and this hurt and that we are all exhausted, that there's a fight there as well because people are calling out these brands mm. and asking questions. It's like, well, you just posted that. All right, how many black people you got this doing this? How many black women, etc. And people that have worked there as well or do work there, risking their livelihood. Like, it's a lot. It's a lot. We've been um, put into a position where it's like, ah, oh, flip, man. I was doing it right, you know, and I was just trying to get get by. But now I've got to bring this global conversation into my my livelihood. And mm. some people have had to leave that. Well, they've decided to leave their jobs because their colleagues are posting on their socials, all lives, all lives matter, and stuff. Mm. And they're the only black person in the in the in the workplace. And it's like there's just so much to unpack. Jumbo even um, said, yeah, Jumbo Jumbo even said, I don't even know if I'm going to have a job. Yeah, exactly. Career after this, but then Jordan Peele tweeted. We, I've got you, Jordan. I've got you. Yeah. So I, that was a bit. I was like, but you know I didn't what, even like, see that. That's that, but that, that was that was powerful to me because I that, was like, mm. I'm so glad that this is an that is this is a global mm. there's global eyes on it because yeah, yeah. But that but that that speech from John Boyega in Hyde Park was, I mean, I was in 
tears for about 10 minutes after watching that. Wow. Even thinking about it now, I can feel them coming back because it was just like the raw emotion, the raw pain, the passion in what he's saying and how he's saying it and how he's just, you know, he's had to work so hard clearly because of the way he looks to get to Mm -hmm. a place where he is with his career. Absolutely. And, and to get to, so just to finish my point, but to get yeah. to to get to the point where he's literally in that speech, and he breaks down in tears to address mm. black men and black women, yeah. And there's people around him go, "Come on, John, you've got this, you've got this," mm. and he ends on the message of, "Do you know what? I don't even know if I'm going to have a career, but this is more important than everything I've worked for for my entire life. So Absolutely. fuck it, I'm mm. going for it." That moment there was like the moment. That that moment there, I hope in many years to come will be looked back on as a iconic moment. And it was just the most like, like I don't know. That was the moment where I just went. I was yeah. like, oh my God, I can't hold yeah. it together. And do you know why that's powerful? Those tears that you cried are tears that we've cried for so long. Exactly. Tears that mm. I've had to come back home exactly. after a day of work after two panic attacks and just cry, wake up halfway through the middle of the night. My gut is in pain and I'm wailing, crying, waking up out of my sleep. And so watching it, I was like, all I can do is empathize. Because mm-hmm. literally, you know, the fear of not being able to work after you say what you, after you say, after you call out what's right or what's wrong. Yeah the power of having, of being able to, if we, if we do this, like, John Biega, if you're gonna just stick on him for just a bit. Yeah, yeah. John Biega put a video up, like a while back, of him buying his parents a house. Mm. I have only ever seen these things happen with black actors or black kind of entertainers who have to kind of, then who meet him, get to a modicum of success mm. and then have to and then give back the Scotty Pippen stuff from The Last Dance. The idea that he took a bum deal <laughs> but was supporting his dad, his mum and his brother all, all the way. It's a burden you have to carry because they're, because we do not have generational wealth mm-hmm. passed down mm-hmm. through to us. That's it. The they privilege. Call it, uh, the, the, the Americans the, call it the black tax, don't they? The black tax. Mm-hmm. The privilege to, the privilege to, right? I didn't. I got to eighteen. Didn't know whether I wanted to go to uni or not. My dad was like, "Look, that you either you either work or you go." Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never had the privilege to sit and think. Never had the privilege to go and spend a year. Um, traveling, traveling. I've had a privilege to go and spend a year, probably even just interning at a magazine or something. Oh, I've had the privilege to do any of those things because we don't have time for that. <laughs> the idea is that you get your education, no matter what education is, you get your education, and you have to go through all of that stuff, which then keeps us in this systematic loop of mm. actually not able to kind of have agency for ourselves all the way through up until we get to graduation and then we can take agency for ourselves and we even come out of the university 
definitely I'm speaking for myself particularly, but come out of university and not even not even specifically know where we want to be after that. Because and even if you even if from, you do know, yeah, because from the age of four, we, yeah. we, are mm. system, we are systematically guided and sent all the way through to twenty five or twenty four. Mm. And then when we come out of it, we we realize that we realize a lot about life in a, a sense, and it's just beginning. The fact of the matter is, mm. you know, I've got it's to go crazy. on a diversity scheme to get into something that everybody can read, the media. I've got to yeah. go into a diversity scheme to get into a bank. I've got to go into a diversity scheme to get into law. I've got to go into a diversity scheme to do all that stuff. That's just, the, that's even because the conventional route won't ca- won't see you. Yeah, won't, yeah. And then yeah, when you, you do know, go in on a diversity scheme, they're looking at you. Like, oh, where did you work? Like, why are you here? Oh, I did X, Y, and Z. Oh, that's why you're here. Mm. It's mm. a consistent. Consistent. Thing. And do you yeah. know what? Even if, even when you're in in a job and stuff like that, there's these, uh, you know, the, the coded language and stuff like that. And people people mean to come from the right place. Like I've had I've had um, conversations with um, with higher ups that have consisted of um so how i'm just trying to i'm just trying to understand how did you make it out of like get up where you basically yeah where you want where you are to, to where how was the hood basically yeah like, how did you navigate that and i understand i kind of understand like mm. what like the intent the intent is naive but it's just like i'm at work why do i have to unpack all this trauma like yeah. just let me do my job man like it's crazy um we don't we, we don't really know you we don't really we don't really we don't really know you you know you're gonna come yeah, to the it's... pub on friday oh no definitely not <laughs> definitely leave me alone but, um, the home. <laughs> i'm welcome to work but um what you were saying about you know getting to 18 for example like for me in my experience um it's, it's, I mean, there's so much to unpack, but um, I was sent to different schools to like my, my older brother, which is an interesting experience in um, in itself. And um, I was always the, you know, part of a, a, a minority within the, the school from both a colour perspective, but also a, um, a like a class perspective as well. Mm. And um, I always knew it because, you know, you go to your friend's house and you'd be like, oh, rah, okay. Uh <laughs> this is not like what we're used to kind of thing mm-hmm. um but it really hit when when it really hit when we turned like 17 18 and then you really see where the the, the privilege kicks in and it's like because up to a certain point um you see variants in terms of like what people are wearing and things like that it's kind of surface level stuff mm. pretty much um there um, obviously there's like uh emotional differences and things you go through in school and how you're treated i remember being taken out of assembly because i had a pattern in my hair and oh, like, what what is that daft haircut and i'm like anyway that's another story but um yeah, yeah. You get to like when i got to 18 and i started to see oh shit that person's automatically got a car or they're in this in this good job and then they've all they've got all of these things and i'm like Where's where's ours? So then I had those conversations, right? Oh, so mum and dad, you must have savings for me then, innit? And I was like, no. Like we this this is this is what we've got. I'm like, okay. So you know, I mean, I've worked since I was 14 years old. Mm. Um it was a um 
me and my yeah. best friend got a, got a job at Burger King illegally because I don't think you're supposed to hire yeah, you, can't, you can't work at 14 no exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was a little under the table brown envelope thing uh, three pound three pound 19 an hour we got that's, that's even yeah. good for under for trust me in it and we worked there throughout doing our like GCSEs and stuff and I've always worked since and um, everything just to go back to what you're saying Reeds like the norm the, the what is normal to me is for everything to be an uphill battle Mm. that is just it's just like it's a fight everything is a fight 16 whenever (laughs) yeah everything is a fight and um it's it's yeah it's just really difficult um in so many different ways and again there's so many different layers to it um but yeah i mean what's even good is that we haven't had this conversation between Mm. all of us you know, and, and we're, we're focusing on that now. And even like the dynamics between us all is amazing. Um, you know, this, this has become a safe space um, for us all, like even in our WhatsApp group, you know, yeah, we all sure. just bounce ideas and thoughts and stuff off each mm-hmm. other. And that's been amazing. And but, checking in but, with but each but other as well a lot. Checking into each other, with, with each and, other. And, and Ryan moving mad. It's fine. It's crazy. So, um, yeah, man, that's that's been good. But what what was interesting about what you're saying about John Boyega uh, and everything that we've seen? Because um, I'm quite an emotional person, and when I see things that really move me, it does move me to tears. But nothing that I've seen in the last ten days, as traumatic as it has, has moved me to tears. And that's te- over it. Just over that's it. That's telling. That's telling <laughs> because it's it's become normal. It's become normal. It's like. I've seen so many things that have outraged me that I wanted to re- reply to and uh, things that are really upsetting, but it hasn't got me to that point. It's just like, it's almost like being a soldier and, and not being affected by death anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. And I think I, that, that, that's what got me so much emotionally was it wasn't so much being like, I'm part of the pro- like the problem. It's like, I am the problem. And it was that realization, which is just like <coughs> tough, you know, because it's like, mm. it's hard to admit that, you know, mm. it's really it's fucking like, hard. And it's, it's like, it, sh- it, it shouldn't be like, it should be I shouldn't, like in, in a way I shouldn't have to admit that because it shouldn't be a, like, there shouldn't be a problem. Right. right. Do you know right, what I mean? Exactly. It's like, yeah. so admitting it when everything in terms of my life is normal, like, you know realistically you know and i hope i'm not saying this out of turn but i'm saying this from a place of love obviously like my life isn't going to be changed by any of this and that's the reality of the situation but that Mm. is what makes me the problem right people like me the problem because my life is not the the life that is going to be changed from this my life will go about the same way no matter right right as it always has because I'm ha- I haven't had to face all of these things. You guys have just, you know, so I mean, you, broken you, get down. The, you get the choice further. To, to, you get to, you get the choice for your life to change after okay. this moment. You get the choice to do that. We have to wait for that change to happen. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Or we go out and 
we try to enforce that to happen. Mm-hmm. And there was a video that was put out earlier, um, I don't earlier this week of a black woman, um, and she was talking about, and they were saying, oh, why are you looting and burning down your own neighborhood? Don't burn down mm-hmm. your own buildings. We have celebrities saying, don't do that, blah, 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 blah. Um, we need to organize X, Y, and Z. BS, they need to just either get on the street and march and do what they have to do with the, with the community or be quiet. And mm-hmm. the woman was like, look, at the end of the day, none of this is ours. Like, none of this is ours. There was a social contract which said that we are a part of this community, we're a part of this society that allows us to then operate in this world as humans and human beings and equal citizens mm-hmm. under law, right? That has not been upheld. So at the end of the day, they want, they're burning the buildings down. The buildings aren't theirs. These are multi-million dollar mm. businesses. The buildings aren't theirs. And I think she's ended with a very powerful phrase. She's like, you're lucky that black people only want equality and not revenge. Mm. That yeah. is something that I, 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 I closed my I, I got up and walked away. Because I was like, look, at the end of the day, if it was revenge that would be what I've done, this would be a pro- this this would be chaos like real the, the cities chaos. would be in sm- the cities would be up in smoke yeah because that that's and there, are, there is a there is a faction of people who do want revenge mm, you know right, yeah. and, it will, and it will boil it up to that point it will get to that point and hey. if if things aren't if actions aren't taken for things to change and I'll come to back to you Manzi, in a very second in a minute but just to add to everything. I never forget when I watched this, I forgot what the film was, I can't remember what it was, but it, it was one of those American gangster films. It might be American gangster, it might not be, but there was something. Um, and there was something, it's talking at the beginning, they were on a golf course. I don't know if you guys remember, I don't know if you guys have seen a film like this, but they're on a golf course and he's, and one guy's explaining, was it, was it a book? Was it? Anyway, one guy's explaining about um, the kind of the process that, that, my, that people in America have to go through. Um, obviously, he has white people at the top, but um, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants top. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was basically like, yeah, he was reading through it, and he basically was like, you know, we, then we have the, uh, we have the, you know, the white gangsters, but the white gangsters, they work in the corporations, they work in mm. the businesses, and they operate systematically, and then they kind of like trickle down economics, and they kind of push and move things to happen in the, in the way, hire who they want, hire who they want, politically engage, all of these different things. Then you have the Irish Americans who fit in, kind of like, you know, they can kind of like go that way, this way, but they, they present their own kind of economies. They're kind of just like, they're Catholic, obviously, but they have a particular element of uh, understanding in their, in their community. They can kind of pass and move through. Uh, and they build their own mobs. <laughs> they got the Irish mobs and whatnot, um, which kind of like kind of moves and operates in a renegade way. Then you've got the Italians, who again are white, but they are obviously they have they have the difference of language and culture, mm-hmm. but they have operated within America. That kind of allows them to have gangs, legitimate gangs. <laughs> Legitimate, the mafia allows them to have legitimate gangs in the mafia in the in the in America and survive as a society and mm. people just kind of in a way accept that 
as something that is happening. So you've got, true, you've got three kinds of white people in a triangle. You've got the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, you have the you have Irish Americans, and you have Italian Americans. Then you trickle down and you have like Latinos, Latinx African Americans. And then they are literally at the bottom rung. African Americans at the at the very bottom very because they've been under they've been under land for five hundred years and they just and they've been disenfranchised from everything, and that kind of made me think like and that really made me think about a lot because I was like, how does that work? It's like you've got you know you got black people who are persecuted for being in gangs in South Central LA, you know in the South or wherever in New York, Chicago, whatever the whole East West Coast stuff that was happening in hip hop, all of that stuff. But mafias were operating in plain sight. <laughs> Irish, you know, Irish gangs were operating in plain sight. Like they were just kind of subverted. Like white Anglo-Saxon Protestants were in the president's office, A, B, in, in companies and business and in politics, and they were operating in plain sight. And it, it just, it kind of just made me aware. So the question I have for you both is, when did you become aware that you were a, a white man, Alex, and be a black man, that you became one. Mm, when was that point? Interesting. Um, there's a oh, few man. points. Um, the ones that are coming to mind. Uh, when I was moved from my first primary school to my uh, second primary school, which was um, <laughs> which is a better primary school, but um, <laughs> I was one of a few black kids. And it was only one class per year, which is... Um, what I've learned is kind of not normal. Um, so 30 kids per year. And um, I was in school with, and I've, I think I've spoke, spoke with you both about on, um, on, on, our, on our podcast, uh, but there was definitely a class um, divide there in terms of, you know, like footballers, kids and things like that there. And um, yeah, I remember, I can't even remember what the incident was, but I remember... Um, my mum and dad are brilliant um, they had a jar in our kitchen where they said listen if there's anything you want to talk about write it down and stick it in that jar and then we'll mm. have a weekly family meeting we'll go through everything that's in a jar from all of the kids and there was something in there about uh, I went through something where I was othered and it, it was I was made known that I am not from here or uh, yeah something like that and um I remember having that conversation with my mum and dad and have, having to unpack my feelings as maybe as, as a six-year-old. And, um, and then for my mum and dad to then have to have that meeting with the, with the headmaster and for things to, to change. And then for my mum to be put in that position with, you know, because, you know, there's always mum politics, right? <laughs> Between different mums and stuff. And then for her to be in that position now where she's kind of had to ruffle feathers and then she, she was then like ostracised from that group as well. And then from even other black mothers that wanted to kind of be pally pally with people. And um, yeah, that's where I knew that, oh shit. Um, yeah, we're not the, the same. Cause even like the way we got dropped and picked up from school had to change because of all of this, because um, there was started to be rifts with people that even lived in our area that would take us to, to school, um, but didn't want to do that after these incidents because oh, you're not conforming to you know, mm -hmm. the, the code, like, don't you, don't you realize our kids are going to this good school kind of thing? Um, that was one first day of secondary school as well. Again, moved to a, a school which was, which was predominantly white um, on the outskirts of, um, of London. 
and uh you had people coming in from east london you had people coming in from like essex and um yeah we were definitely other to the point where i remember um we were playing basketball and they were like all right cool it's gonna be the coloreds versus everyone else and i was like really really and i remember that that always that always stuck for me and um Again, it's just like a constant reminder. You can start something new and it's just like, all right, well, this is who you are versus um, versus everyone else. And yeah, just, they're the things that pop to mind. But for every every one memory, there's probably a hundred ones mm. that are just in subconscious somewhere. Yeah. And I think um, I think for me, there's two, I've got two answers, right? Because there's for me, there's two. There's two differences, right? For me, there's a a realization of a difference in class and a difference in color. Mm. And for me coming from middle-class family, probably like higher end of the middle-class spectrum, if I'm going to be honest, you know, to give some context, like my family had um, a very successful restaurant in central London for many years from like 19, 12 or something until 2006 wow so that put us me growing up in a different class to a lot of people that i knew so one of the things that always sticks out in my mind is going to friend's house in primary school and being like wow this house is really small (laughs) because i was used to my nice four-bedroom house in north london so that that was always one thing that always stuck in my mind is like you know walking in and it's like the stairs were right there it was like for me it's like you walk in you sort of go around the corridor and the stairs are there like that was a a big like okay this is different why Mm. is this different you know questioning that trying to understand that and then the second one isn't isn't probably i wouldn't say necessarily the moment i realized you know being a white person versus a black person but similar to what you were saying right in secondary school we used to play football blacks versus whites yeah. And I always remember the thing that I really felt the most guilty about in that whole situation wasn't the difference in me being white and someone else being black. It was the mixed race kids who oh, had yeah, to choose wow. which team they wanted to play on. Did they want to play for the blacks or did they want to play for the whites? That is deep. And I used to think like, like fucking hell, <laughs> literally like, if they played for the whites, the black kids would disown them. And if they played for the the blacks, we would be like, but you, you're more white than black. Do you know what I mean? It's like they, they, like they couldn't win either way. Their and identity was, was challenged just to play football. Exactly. Right. And a lot of them would identify more as being white, you know, in inverted mm. commas. So they would play with us. But they, do you know what I mean? But there was always a bit like, there'd always be some people like, no, you can't play. Like you've got to go play with like, and that's that was you know this is at like 14 you know and, and you're thinking like jeez like that is mad yeah it's weird yeah and you know what you just said you know what you've just said really just kind of like summed up a lot <laughs> based on the simple fact that you were able to have uh what is that i don't know 50 60 year a 60 year generational mm like element of wealth <laughs> within your community within your family slash your community the same way this happens with a lot of greek people this happens mm-hmm. with a lot of turkish mm-hmm. people 
um, in a way that a lot of black people just don't have access to. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing that when it was in, um, there was a video that's gone around, it was like, you know, kind of explaining very briefly um, systematic you know, wealth. And I'm even watching this show called Little Fires Everywhere on um, Amazon. And um, it's just, everything's just becoming more and more apparent to me. Like the fact that the, the how bad we have it mm-hmm. as black people get access to business loans as quickly as white people. We don't get access, we don't even have the ability to buy homes. Like I remember <laughs> I was at work and I was working as a journalist and one of my colleagues was talking about her flat. Now, journalism traditionally doesn't pay well at the very beginning of your career at all, mm. traditionally. Um, so I was like to her, interesting, do you rent? No, I like my dad bought it, okay. Cool, so your dad bought it. How many rooms do you have? Two. I've got one for the extra space. Where is this house? Wimbledon. I'm like, okay, cool. Your brother is uh, works in the creative arts. You know, he's like studying in creative arts. He has his own flat that his dad bought for him. All of the children have their own flats and places. And this is not uncommon across a lot of these things. Whereas when I look at it and I look at a lot of black people who are in similar ages and similar professions, a lot of them haven't moved out. Mm. And this, and what this says to me is that we do not have the economic power or the reserves mm. to be able to live independently or freely. And Definitely. that's why when, and that's why we get we can get suckered into so many different things such as you know, some network marketing schemes and all these other stuff. And that's why the hustle is so mm. imperative for us because so we're always trying to borrow out of somewhere yeah. and not go back to it because we know what it's like to not have it. And that was very interesting. So when you said that about the restaurant, I was like, ah, uh, okay. And yeah. there's always, and I think that, and there's always something. Obviously, that's a class situation. Mm. Not, everybody, not every white person has that because it's a class mm. thing, especially in the UK. But Did you know what, though? The mad thing about that as well is like that was a fresh off the boat Italian setup. So they would have still been classed quite low, yeah, but yeah, not yeah. quite as low. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. So it's like... It's, because- because because Italian food contributes to the to the yeah. British understanding of everything. Like there exactly. is the like exactly. there are so many there's so many amazing Italian restaurants that I've yeah, seen. Like yeah. fam- because I always go to the I like going to the family run ones because mm. I know that I like hearing I like hearing Italian. I like it. And I like actually hearing them pronounce like <laughs> the pasta in the way that it should be pronounced. Like I don't want to be out here like just trying to guess or something. Um, mm. And that's the thing, like, and 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 that, and those, and it's the family is the really just the family mm. run stuff that then becomes something that they've created for themselves and, and mm. pushed forward. But obviously, that is able to be had. That is able to be had because of the access that, that they can have to exactly. finance things to be exactly. able to start. Yeah, um, access to wealth is such a huge mm. part of it, man. Like, yeah, just, um, just the, um, you just you, you just reminded me of something, so. Uh, I spoke about this yesterday as well on well, or the day before, but in terms of what you're told to do in terms of like being well moral, stay, stay on the straight and narrow, don't get into, especially as a black male in, um, in London or in the UK, like don't, don't like succumb to, you know, drugs or doing crime, all those kind of things that are available to, to, to anyone really. Um, 
you know start a business do all these kind of things um i literally done that paid like bullet point by bullet point and i'm like it has to work because i'm mm-hmm. doing doing this and i'm smart i've got good ideas and more often than than not those ideas have turned out over time to be the right ideas and um, for example i started an internet um uh startup in 2005 and um the whole thing was going to be the imdb for music so categorizes all albums by credits so you could go on to michael jackson thriller click into uh, human nature and then find out who produced it who wrote it click into their oh, names every, everything else that they've done and we built this and i had a distributed team um it was me my wife my now wife um and uh my friend from finland who's a uh, an engineer and uh, who my mentor from um from america and um built it up to this point where it was a a, a workable demo and things like that and uh you know i'm i'm a very much a person that as soon when i want something i'll just go and i'll learn everything i need to learn about it and go for it and through what i saw and i'm not going to say that i didn't make any mistakes mm. but through what i saw as a first time founder i did what was necessary to get some access to funding so to the point where i would send pitches across and because i suppose my name's anglicized i would yeah. get in the door yep um that was and it. The, work, the work was fine the 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 idea was good and they'd be like i was speaking to like people that are now billionaires like i was having conversations and skype calls things like that um bear in mind they were just voice calls before right um and I remember this particular one I had in Covent Garden with this venture capitalist and was going through the idea. He, loved, he, he said he loved the idea on email, stuff like that. Went through, just explained everything. Me and my wife was there. And um, so I've, so the, the, I said, well, what's special about this is I'm in, you know, I'm in music um, and I'm doing this, this startup. And I just really want to see this out in the world. And I remember him saying, he kind of like um, snarked and said, Huh, uh, suppose I suppose your music's not paying then, huh? And I was like, like as in that was the that's the that was the intention behind me starting this business was that mm-hmm. my music wasn't wasn't paying. Um, because I you know me, I'm a very I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm honest. At the time, you know, I was working in Sainsbury's part time, writing down all of these ideas on tissue tissue like writing down business plans and ideas and drawing out website wireframes on on tissue paper and just knowing that this would work and then getting to the point where having meetings and i'm like yes it's going to happen i'm going to have that moment where i'm going to be funded and then we can start this business and then that opens up the conversation about financial freedom and independence and then having your own place and stuff like that and yeah so i was, I was that was what i was meet, uh, that's what i was um met with that yeah oh well your music must not be paying. It's almost like they just took the the meeting just to take the piss. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, what what happened from there is that it, I was just just amounting into a massive amount of of debt, which uh, and getting into a debt spiral, which we are not even out of yet. Jeez. And this was in two thousand two thousand five because it's yeah. it's just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled. And the worst thing is. I'm paying for that, but it's that I did the right thing. Do you know what I mean? It's not like I stole something and mm. I was then pay, I was then made to. All right, you're going to be in 15 years worth of paying this off, kind of thing. It's like mm. no, I've just done something which I thought would be good in the world, and then guess what? It was because then five years later, Genius.com 
um, comes out and becomes a worldwide phenomenon. And I'm like, literally, that's what we were building. Yeah, that's what we we're building. Man. And um, that hurts. That hurts because again, like just going back, just going back to what you were saying, Reed, earlier, because you see who the founders are, and I've met them both, and they're both like uh, great people. But in terms of just um, like optics, like I'm a black entrepreneur creator and then i see the same literally the same thing happen but it's now successful from um from uh, like a white uh white founders in america and um it's just another it's just again that's just one one facet of an example that i have like happened in music oh my god i could go on for hours yeah. but anyway <laughs> with that it's um that's a time for offline with a drink hey yes. listen <laughs> so much but the the point is is that um, this is a this is a common narrative, and we know that we were born into this war. It's like being being born into uh, I don't know a state that's in war, and mm-hmm. you got no choice. You you have to engage, and you have to engage for survival. And you know what you were saying, Manzi. Um, what's been, what's been hitting you emotionally is that you you understand what that battle is. Um, mm-hmm. But what's also sad about that is that. Um, when this does inevitably kind of die down in terms of how much attention it's getting, you know that your life, you can kind of, not like you would, but you have the choice to step out of that battle. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, we're on the front line, you regardless. Yeah. We're on the front line, regardless. On that note there then, what what can be done to start working towards that change? And maybe the I don't know whether we want to give like two things each that, you know, we can tell people to mm, go. Just with. two. Okay. No, I don't, I mean, I'm trying to keep it short, right? Because there's, no, there's an endless list. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know how you want to do it, but I know Reed, you'll probably want to talk about some of the books that people can read and whatever, but you know, yeah, um, what are some would, of those things we can suggest? I would say first and foremost is go and engage with black content and content creators and actually go and look up what they're doing. Um, don't just sit there and be like, oh, this person sounds okay. And then just kind of let's leave it like that. Go and engage. Like, this is what I put up on my post today. I was like, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming here. Welcome. Like, this is what I do. This is what I like. This is what I tolerate. Mm. This is what I don't tolerate. And this is what I'm going to do. But engage with it. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, when people are asking when people are asking people to engage with their posts and engage with their content, engage with their stuff, especially with black people, when brands are only ever coming to them and it's Black History Month, Black History Month is a busy month for a lot of black people, right? They are just all of a sudden, it's, oh my God, can you write this piece? Oh my God, can you write this piece? Even now, every black, all all black journalists who have been quiet, the freelance ones, sorry, who have been quiet, have not really had much work going on. Um, All of the, when the coronavirus hit, a lot of the black people who were working, um, who were speakers, all of them, when all of that happened, work stopped, slowed down. There was nothing there. Even for me, it slowed down. It completely stopped. And I mean, it stopped for a lot of people, but mm. obviously when I'm looking at black people, it stopped there. Um, so, and when it comes to now, racism is like literally at the, top of, the tip of everybody's tongue now. They're reaching out back to these diverse people because they're like, oh, can you come and do a talk on, can you speak about this? Can I pick your brain on, can I, all of this stuff. Mm. Engage with the people's content before all of this happens. Throughout the time, we are mm. we speak as well. It's, I like, for example, I don't only speak about race. I 
speak in a particular way about particular things. So, you know what I mean? Ryan speaks about particular things in a particular way. Like, it's not just something that we do. So the, uh, the, one of the things, the actionable takeaways is to go to Black people's content and actively engage in their content, share their stuff, like their posts, comment on it, be a part of their community because they're not only, like, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, if it's specific content, they're sharing then they're giving specific content for particular things that's what they are if you feel like you're a part of that audience engage with what is being said because that's the only way that we can really really find change especially around around content creation spaces um the second thing is to yeah with the reading lists i mean this feeds into the the the, the engagement of the content but um mm. i I'm not here to teach people explicitly. I'm here to create a portal for people to venture down. <laughs> and if they want to go down, they can. The option is always there, but I provided the information that is available. So when, you know, then the, I think Amanda Seals did an amazing video on this on her Instagram TV. And um, she's like, you know, white people are coming to the black people, asking them what they can do, what they, what resources they need to, to learn, what all of this stuff can happen. And it's not black people's choice. It's not black people's responsibility to teach you mm -hmm. because ultimately we're all suffering from racism. That's it. But at the same time, when black people have to learn black history, they have to go and, out and, and try to find the resources themselves to learn and teach themselves the history. Now, if you want to learn about how to be an anti-racist, Google how to be an anti-racist. There is literally a book called this. Like, you know what I mean? So go and Google on the, the internets and go and find the information you need. And that is the thing. And I, I just say, just take personal responsibility for mm. it. Take personal responsibility for the fact that of like any experiences that you've had or you've partaken in, listening to your friends, in, in, having a conversation like this, taking responsibility for it. Mm. That is it, because what as I said earlier, all people, all we want is parity and equity. If yeah. it was revenge, they would it would be, it'd be a thing. Yeah. So. Mm, yeah. Well, if there was revenge and getting what you're owed as well, that's that's another thing. That's, uh, me. that's a whole other <laughs> podcast, mate. Everybody running um, on the street and do rags and bonnets, trying to <laughs> trying to get the money. <laughs> what i would say is um mine's to do with keeping your eyes and ears open so mm. keep your eyes open because um we need to see what the default is and why that is the default um you know i've been you know even just now just watched the um, something completely like because this has been so much um, content that's too real for for our eyes at the moment. So me and my wife watched um, a thing about a spelling bee, a documentary about a spelling bee, and um, what was interesting it was um, framed around um, Indian Americans mm. and dominating spelling bees, um, and they were talking about very very similar experience, um, you know, being immigrants and the such. But what I want to pick up is on is the language in terms of Indian American african-american but the default is american mm. why 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 isn't that not european-american and whose land was so, it first yeah well it's, no, a, land it, full of, it's a land of immigrants Literally it's a land of, of exactly right. right but the, but the default like we know the default um for, for, for them is like americans and then you're african-american or indian-american or whatever now and uh just like we're seeing everywhere else like the default is is white 
you turn on the TV, TV, the default is white and you, you, you then see, you know who the hero is, you know who the villain is, you know who the love interest is. It's not that you know who the, you know, the cab driver is or the IT technician or anything like that because these are roles that usually go to like um, Indian people or the thug is is uh, someone black with a hoodie on and whatever mm. like we need to change what that default is so we can start engaging with everyone as their characters like there's good and there's good and bad people in it so that's the first thing look at what the default is keep your eyes open and understand wherever we are whatever facet of life you you operate in let's work on changing that default so it represents what the world actually is mm. and that goes from you know from um from race relations to um uh you know gender and uh and sexual preference and, and everything like that like let's let's make a new normal like we've been talking about this new normal in with regards to a pandemic but nah we need a new normal period so that's mm. the first thing mm. the second thing is keeping your ears open um and engaging in tough conversations so when you hear something you don't agree with and you know you don't agree with at that moment you got to have the courage to step up and not agree with it out loud um and wait, wait, wait let me pause maybe not even at that moment sometimes it's not at that moment sometimes mm. you might pull in that person aside after exactly yeah because <clears throat> it, that moment might be with 50 other people and if you um make that person feel embarrassed it could get worse um and they could get really defensive but if it's a one-on-one thing you know the conversation might be different so just obviously gauge um what what read the, the outcome room. Will be. read the read the room the read the room hashtag read the room definitely that's the vibe but yeah keep your ears open if someone says something when you're at dinner with family like older relatives and stuff um let your voice be heard like that's your that is your it's now an opportunity to educate um and this is what we've got to do um so keep keep your eyes and, and ears open um there would so, be my two things and your well the third thing is keep and, and use your mouth yeah. keep your eyes and ears open and use your mouth use your senses your whole head sense and then it's like that's what i'm saying like white people just really just pull up pull up your granddad who was mm. moving mad in the street like talking to people in any kind of way you know what i mean mm. pull up your auntie pull up your cousin exactly but if, really, even I, even even we have to do that too no but we do the thing is right this is the thing man power works in a, in a very specific way if i see somebody undergoing or being like attacked because of their race or whatever obviously black people understand what it's like to be to be subject to such so they are more likely to step in and say yo 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 we don't want right. we don't want any of that we don't want any of that putting themselves mm in arms way because we become mm. it we become the it's part of the drama triangle right mm. so it but we we see the we see the victim we see the persecutor and then you know people step into them become the hero but we end up within the drama and then that's how <laughs> a lot of these things happen for example yeah. a lot of the cases that we have seen with regards to like you know um black deaths in the street of like black people have stepped in or have tried to defuse the situation and then they've ended up being diffused Mm so but if a white person walks past and hears somebody being racist to somebody that is more powerful Mm -hmm. than going in and saying yo we don't want any of that we don't want any of that that is much more powerful because then a black person can be like 
thank thank you this because is then somebody, it doesn't become somebody a... that you see can is doing it you know what i mean so exactly. what i'm saying is i'm saying is that we do that mm. it's now it's time for white people to actually stand up look around mm. your as you said open up your eyes but look around your your mm. workplace mm. if the person next to you is not is looks like you and the person right to you looks like you and the person across the whole office looks like you and you and you have to go and search for someone that looks different Speak use your up. senses. Yeah, use your <laughs> senses. Trust me. Yeah. I did mean. I did mean more in. Um, that's absolutely right. But I did mean more in terms of when, um, within the uh, like the Caribbean, uh, the Caribbean perspective, when there's things that we hear with regards to other um, backgrounds that we need to speak mm. up within our own community as mm. as well, because this is ultimately it's the same mindset that's being applied. Um, okay, I, I hear that, but I always look at it mm. as, a, as a as a as a slight. Do you see what I mean? So, for example, if I, if there are, what I've found is that when certain conversations are had, it's usually because of treatment towards mm. us. It's never, it's never. Oh, I just don't like X, Y, Z. For the, it's it's usually down to a treatment or an experience mm. that somebody mm. has had. Yeah, somebody has done something in the street to them. Somebody yeah. has somebody has seen something to them. Mm. I've had. Listen, I went to. I've got a corner shop at the bottom of my road, and. Um, like my cousin went in there to buy stuff and she was just browsing literally just like you know as school kids do at like 14 15 whatever and i'm telling her to come out the shop i'm like you know what i mean like you mm-hmm. think of how oh, this person was saying this and then right, if that right. is a common story all the time yeah that is something that happens so that's why when i look at it it's like when people are complaining in that sense it's because of a particular instance somebody has said something somebody has done something mm-hmm. to make you feel like you are inadequate insufficient mm. enough to do that mm. so yes pull them up and say you know yeah if, if it's out of order then yeah pull them right. up mm. but also i know that it comes for usually comes from places which from are place, completely yeah. odd you know what i mean hurt yeah. people yeah. hurt people right absolutely on top of that i think what i would add as a white person is ask yourself the tough questions ask yourself why is it easier to not have that conversation why is it easier to not step in and pull someone up on that thing. Ask yourself, why is it that you may act differently towards someone? Is it because you feel like they come from a different class, a different family background, single parent household, uh, because the color of their skin, you know, because of a idea that you've had embedded in you through society that makes you act differently around that person? Ask yourself, you know, why is it that, you know, and again, this is a much bigger debate, but like, why is it the prison system in the UK and America is predominantly filled with black people versus white people? Is that because there's more black people making crime or is that because there's more black people being picked on by police? If it's either or, what is wrong with that? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. ask yourself those questions and be truthful with yourself. Don't Run, don't um, run away from them. Don't give yourself the excuse and easy answer. You know, it's before we, we jumped on here, I was having a very, very triggering WhatsApp conversation with a friend about this. Mm. Have those, like, force those conversations, force yeah. those, have that, you know, face up to people. Like you said, call people out even if it's in a WhatsApp group and someone's made a half-assed 
jokey comment which slightly might be you know something to do with race call the pull yeah. them up on it being like bro we don't do that here like there's not it's a thin line between banter and racism man exactly and it's like you know and if they say oh no but i'm not being racist but explain why that is a racist statement that they have made you're not mm. pointing at them and calling a devout racist who wants to burn all non-white people to the ground you're just saying that that is a racist remark that we don't want here mm. and if they move them out of you make a very make a very clear decision of whether you want them to still be your friend or not exactly so and exactly be that's, that's brave be brave that's, be brave and ultimately exactly. i think be brave I, yeah be brave and put put your neck on the line because ultimately ask yourself that question is my life easier because of the way i look is that person's life harder because of the way they look and is that right yep yeah. that's it definitely yeah and then try that's to understand it. try try to understand have have the conversations with your non-white friends and this isn't just black people this is asians this is people from the middle east this is you know this is a wide anyone who doesn't look like you who doesn't come from your background they could be greek italian you know jamaican J japanese russian whatever have a conversation to understand them and what it is that they have to go through and deal with based on their heritage where they're from yeah how they look absolutely absolutely i'm gonna give you my reading list to put in your we'll link it, yeah we'll link so, it yeah. up in all so, of our show notes yeah yeah, man. yeah so, for sure so go on go on with that Definitely. <laughs> well boys look thank you so much for sharing this space with me as yeah, always thank you for, for, hey, mate. for bringing always, everything always, to the let's... table um, I'm putting my do-rag on now it's that time of the night <laughs> <laughs> this is uh this I'm like I said to you boys in private but this is um one of the the best things that we've done like to, to create yeah. this safe space between us all um, to have these conversations where it, you know, it doesn't feel like we're on a panel or anything like the stakes are high. We're just friends that are um, connecting and sharing our experiences. Um, we just happen to have platforms <laughs> where we can amplify those yeah. those experiences. So exactly. I really appreciate it, and um, you know, I appreciate both of you for the for the work that you're doing and for how difficult it's been in in various ways for all of us in the last Likewise. couple of weeks, man. So um, Likewise, bro. yeah. Thank you. Love you all, man. Love you, Love you both, man. And where, where can people find you both online as well? I'm all over the internet. I'm all over the Googles. <laughs> Google Just me. Google Alex Reeves is there. Top one. <laughs> AlexReeves.co.uk, please. Yeah, your, your SEO is on point. To be fair. I, 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 um, you know what? I spent months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not good at tech. <laughs> like, I just don't know what I'm doing. Smash yeah, um, Alex Reeves everywhere. And um, yeah, just go with that. And uh, mine's uh, Ryan Nile. So I'm most active on Instagram. It's ryan.nile.show. Um, if you want to engage in more topics like this, um, I host a daily um, daily show, basically, on Instagram from 8 p.m. Um, Monday to Friday. So make sure you jump on there. Chicken, man. Um, yeah, that's the best yeah. place. But also the podcast. On, as well. He comes on to comedians' lives yeah. and... When he's yeah. Oh yeah! Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Let's about talk that. about that one day. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, that and yet, I can be found Alex Manzi. Google me. No, that's I'm joking about that. Uh, I am Alex Manzi on every platform. Facebook. <laughs> don't use Facebook. So don't go there. Go to Instagram. That's where I hang out the most. Go to Twitter. Sometimes tweet. Instagram's where I'm at. Um, and obviously, Absolutely. at the moment, podcast with me, Alex Manzi. In the moment. Ryan Nile show and time to talk with Alex Reeds. Exactly. Yeah. Boy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Peace. 
Love. Love. Peace and love. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like what you heard, then please leave a review and even better still, hit the subscribe button so that you can get the latest episode straight to your phone. And if you know someone who would benefit from hearing this episode, if you took value from this and you know there's someone out there who would really take value from listening to this episode, then be sure to send them the link or a screenshot because it's important that we continue to spread the messages of podcasts and episodes like this. You know, I started this podcast to inspire change and you can also be a part of that by sharing the love. So as ever, you can connect with me on Instagram at IamAlexManzi. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Pop over and say hi. I'll be there. I'll reply to all messages. So thanks again for listening and I will see you for the next episode. This podcast is produced by Unedited.